Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, TK, for reading that passage for us this morning. If we haven't met, my name's Russ Ramsey, and I'm the pastor here of Christ Pres Cool Springs. I've never preached through 1 Peter before as a sermon series, and never preached through Micah before, which we just did earlier this year. And one of the really fun parts of being a preacher uh, especially in, when, when, when I work through books of Scripture, is, is I get to see themes emerge and things that run through a book that, um, that I just never had known were there before. And one of the themes that has been just really fascinating for me about First Peter is you don't, you don't really think about how there was a time when the church was brand new. Um, not like this church is four and a half years old, but like where there weren't any. There were no Christian churches, and then there were. And so they have this task of trying to figure out how to be. Like, how do, what do we do? How do, what, do we, what, do we use, what do we do with our time? How do we relate to one another? And there are all these connections that are being made in these churches across lines of, of differentiation that, that culturally just weren't done. Jews and Gentiles being together, men and women uh, relating to one another and, and communicate and c- contributing to, to life in the body of Christ in ways that defied how things happened in culture in those days. And, and, and it's such a, a kind of a profound thing to think of. And we, we talked last week really at length about how this community was coming together in the face of persecution and learning how to be one. And then we get to this passage and we're starting to see a lot more of the uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of this community and how to function and how, 
how to live together and, and how to think of themselves as a, as a community. And there's great power in community. It's one of the things that I love about the church, uh, this church, is that, is that when our relationships continue to develop and deepen, there's so much care that becomes available for us and to us uh, because of the community that we're in. And as I've been thinking about that, the power of community, I, th- I thought of a movie that came out in 1999 uh, from David Lynch, uh, who made, did the recent version of Dune, I believe. Um, but this is David Lynch. It's rated G. There aren't many rated G movies in the world these days. This one is. Um, and it's called The Straight Story. And it's the story of a 73-year-old man named Alvin Strait who... Um, he lost his driver's license. He couldn't drive anymore. Uh, and then he found out that his brother uh, had had a stroke. And he'd been estranged from his brother for over a decade. They hadn't spoken. They'd gotten in a fight, and they hadn't spoken. And when he found out that his brother had a stroke, he drove his 30-year-old John Deere riding mower over 300 miles across the state of Iowa to visit his brother, Lyle. And... It's a profound story of alienation and reconciliation. And even though it's primarily the story of two brothers, it's a really powerful picture of community and how community works and how love works in the context of of community. Alvin said this about his relationship with his brother. He said, anger, vanity, you mix that together with liquor and you've got two brothers that haven't spoken in 10 years. Whatever it was that made me and Lyle so mad, it doesn't matter anymore. I want to make peace. I want to sit with him, look up at the stars like we used to so long ago. And there's a scene at the end, which I'm a little hesitant to do this, but it came out in 1999. (laughs) So you've had 24 years to watch the three minutes of the last, the last three minutes of this movie, which I'm about to show you. It's a spoiler alert. It's kind of on you if you haven't seen it yet. But there's a scene of reconciliation here that is, to me, so moving in the simplicity of two people just looking each other in the eye. And so we're going to watch this, and then we'll we'll unpack it a little bit. Lyle! You ride that thing all the way out here to see me? I did, Lyle. There's power in looking each other in the eye. There's power in community, in these relationships of belonging, where we belong to each other. And it's a power that it doesn't exist because community itself has some sort of nebulous positive energy. But it's because that God, when he put this world together, 
was pleased to make us to be people who have this incredible capacity to connect to one another deeply in ways that, that bring things out of us like joy and hope and courage and peace and confidence in the truth that God is working in our lives in a very present and ongoing way and that God is healing. There's just great power when two lives connect. There's great power when a community of people connect. We don't have to be extraordinarily gifted people to be used by God in extraordinary ways because the power that we have access to as people in community doesn't lie in our ability to do something that is beyond what community was meant to accomplish. But actually, we just have the capacity to be involved in what community was meant to accomplish. And it's just basest form. This living out of who we're meant to be for one another. These two brothers, Alvin and Lyle, they weren't meant to live in contempt for one another. They weren't meant to hold each other captive. And in the act of showing up, and showing up with this display of what it took for him to get there, it just unravels them both. We can hold so tightly to our reasons to be divided from one another. Contempt, anger, feeling insulted. But the freedom of forgiveness, of saying, did you come all the way here just to see me? I did. It just melts the contempt. I, I want to talk about how biblical community returns us again and again and again to what Christ has done for us, how one of the most valuable parts of our love for each other as a community comes from how it leads us back to the love that God has for us. And I want to focus primarily on 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5, where he says this, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are we building as a church? What is this? What are we doing here? We're not just building community for community's sake. This is not just a community center here where people can gather and do stuff. We are a community for the sake of growing in the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the wisdom of Jesus Christ and doing that together. We're seeking to be a community of people who we build each other up. We build each other up together in the gospel around the presence and the love of Jesus. And what Peter is saying here is we play a role. Each of us plays a role. Do you know what the role is that you play? He lists three things here 
that I want to unpack. That the role we play is I'm a spiritual house. You're a spiritual house. We're a holy priesthood. And then we're people who offer spiritual offerings to God through Christ. Seeing ourselves as living sacrifices where we say to one another, let my life be lived for something greater than just myself. And so those are the three I want to walk through. I'm going to take them in reverse order and start with this idea of being a people who offer spiritual sacrifices. As spiritual sacrifices, what do we do? Well, one of the things that we do as spiritual sacrifices is we engagingly expose what is broken and painful. The idea of the sacrifice in the mind of the first century Jewish person was that these were offered to atone for sins, that sacrifice was a part of acknowledging things that are broken and things that are painful. If we exist to express God's delight in one another, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, but if we exist to do that, which we do, and if we eagerly search out things that are good and true, which we're going to talk about that as well, then we have to recognize that we will also then serve the role of exposing what is bad and what is painful and what is hurtful. And that's a hard word because sometimes it means that what we do in community is we lay down our lives for each other. We lay down our lives for each other by being willing to shine light on where we're broken and to shine light on where we're hurting. And whenever we do that, we run a risk. And the risk that we run is we run the risk of losing friends in the process of talking about painful and broken things, particularly if those painful and broken things are between us and the friend. And yet, we have to. We have to. But what that means for us as a church, what that means for us as a community of faith, is that we, we have to be humble. We have to be humble. We have to be willing to admit when we're wrong. We have to be willing to admit when we've handled things poorly. And that requires a lot of trust in one another. It requires a lot of spiritual maturity. And the reason it does is because sin is at work in all of us. And one of the things about sin is that it's blinding by nature. That there are things, there are sins in me that I commit against you that I can't see. And then there are things that I can see. And then there are things we can help show each other, right? But sin is at work in us, and what it does is it drives wedges between us. Between us and God, between us and others. But the glory of the gospel is that it is, as Larry Crabb put it, the glory of the gospel is God taking it upon himself to reconnect us. First to himself, by revealing that he is good, and then to ourselves and others by pouring his goodness into our hearts, a goodness that enables us to live with integrity, prompted by spiritual dynamics and aware of his urges within us to bless others. And sometimes, he says, sometimes he furthers the process of reconnecting by exposing our bad inclinations. And when he exposes the badness and pain and tension within us, we are disrupted. And it throws us off balance, and sometimes severely. Why would God do that? 
why would God say part of the function of your community is to live as spiritual sacrifices where we engagingly expose what is broken and painful? Is it out of spite? Is it to shame us? Is it because he's disgusted with us? And he's just, it's time for our comeuppance? No. What he's doing is he's revealing the depth of our depravity and need so that we might see that much better how much we need him. So we might be moved to repent. Sorry for how we fail to love him. And why would he have an interest in that? Because we were made to love him. We were made to love our maker. Our best joy, our truest sense of peace in why we're even here is irrevocably tied to the truth that was articulated so well by St. Augustine who said, Oh Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And one of the most powerful ways God stills a restless heart and one of the most powerful ways that God exposes what is bad or painful is through community. It's through the people who know you and look you in the eye and understand where you've come from and the things that you wrestle with and the things that you struggle with. People who offer themselves then as your friends as living sacrifices, taking the risk of speaking words that might awaken hurt. And it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices in this way. But it's for our good. It's for our good. As spiritual sacrifices, we engagingly expose what is broken and painful. But as a community, we don't just camp out on the negative there, right? As a royal priesthood, what do we do? What do priests do? We bring each other back to what is true and good. We minister to one another. You ever thought about what it means to go through something? We say, I'm going through something right now. The older I get, the less convinced I am that we ever just get over anything. We don't. We go through things. We don't get over things. We, we come out on the other side different and so to go through something with somebody in your community means someone might say, I went to the doctor and they took some tests, they did a few tests, and I'm scared about what they're going to say. Or I'm really struggling with this temptation, would you ask me about it? Or I have this anger in my heart and I don't like who I'm becoming. And so I'm giving that information to you so that you can look me in the eye and ask me how I am. What happens when we do this with each other? Well, we're opening doorways for people to come and stand in some pretty sacred ground with us, right? We're saying, I want you to come and I want you to stand in a sacred place with me. It's a way of saying to one another, don't let me deal with this alone. I don't want to deal with this alone. Because lab tests come back and trials come and go, but what we're really inviting people into when we share these kinds of struggles is we're inviting them into the places where we're vulnerable. We're saying, I am vulnerable. 
and I'm asking you to stand with me. And as a royal priesthood, that's what we do. We stand and we bring each other back to what is true and to what is good. Listen, if you leave me on my own, if I'm alone, here's what I'll do. I'll have this amazing ability to imagine the worst and hold out very little hope for anything good. But when I'm in a community of living stones, what we do is we collaborate together and we contend for one another to see what is good and to see what is beautiful and to see what is true. And so we've become this kind of priesthood where we're ushering each other into the presence of God. We're priests whose job is to tend to those in our path on a soul level. The priest's job is to bring us back again and again and again to what is immovably true. And that's what we are to one another as a community. We are a community of people who are like priests to one another. And so we say to each other, I know you're struggling. Lean hard on God because he will not abandon you. But it's not just words that I give you. I say part of the way that he is meeting you even now in this struggle is he has sent me to see for you what you can't see right now on your own. He sent me to lift high truths that your faith feels too weak to hold right now, and so I will hold them. That's how we're priests to one another. We go through trials together. We carry each other's burdens together. We carry each other together. And often the burdens aren't the lab test results or the temptation, but it's the fear or the hopelessness that come with them. That's what I need you to carry. I may not be able to change somebody's test result or remove a temptation or release you from the painful parts of your past and your story, but what I can do And what you can do is stand like a priest in the temple of another person's heart and say things that are true and remind one another of how precious we are to the heart of God and contend with each other against the voices that would try to tell us that God is asleep when he is not. He's not asleep. In fact, he's populating our lives with people who are planting their feet and telling us things that are true and showing us things we can't see, lifting our heads. It's one of the most beautiful roles of community that we have this privilege of returning those we love to immovable truths when they can't see them. It's a royal priesthood. We bring each other back to what is true and to what is good. And then lastly is a spiritual house. We're a spiritual house. Think about what it means to be a house. When you have somebody over to your house for dinner, it's it's an opportunity to delight together with people, to bring them into a refuge, into a safe place. As a spiritual house, we offer a taste of Christ delighting in us. And the truth is, you were made to be delighted in. And I was made to be delighted in. There's something that our hearts just hunger for there. Right, That we're made to be with people who will say things to us like, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so proud of you. We hunger for this. We hunger for approval, not for what we do, but just for who we are. That our value is a part of us. Our value is not just an extension of some contribution that we make, but it's, it's us. I'll use my daughter Kate as an example. 
Now, before I go any further, I kind of have a rule with my kids. I'm a preacher, I have a pulpit, and I have children. And those things don't intersect very often. You don't hear me tell stories about my kids very often. And the reason is because they're my kids, and I don't ever want them to feel like this pulpit is a place where I can bring their lives and tell you about it. So if I ever talk, with my, talk about my kids from the pulpit, a couple of things have happened. I've asked their permission, and they've granted it. So Kate has given me her permission. And they will never be the fool in the story. So those are the rules. Kate. She and I are about to take a trip. I'm going to be gone for a couple Sundays in May because she and I are going to go to the other side of the planet for a little bit, and we're going to look at art, and I can't wait. We're going to go to London. We're going to go to Amsterdam. We're going to go to the Rijksmuseum, the Van Gogh Museum. While I'm gone, I will think about you some. (laughs) But we're going to go there. But that's... What I want to tell you about Kate is she and I have a handshake. It's an elaborate, complicated handshake. And it's something that we have been putting together for years. It has no less than seven movements. And I don't mean like seven high fives. I mean a movement consists of many parts. And it's a sacred thing. And there are only two people in the world that can do this handshake. And that will never change. Because it's like the recipe to Coca-Cola, we will never disclose all of the steps. You'll have to watch it, video it, decipher it. So we're not going to do it in front of you. (laughs) But I'll tell you this. Whenever... We do this handshake. There's a part of me that comes alive with joy. That it's a sacred thing. That there's delight in me because of this thing we share that we've worked on together. And her heart was made to receive the delight of her father. It was easier in the 8.30 she wasn't in the room for me to talk about this. She was made to receive the delight of her father. Her earthly father, yes, but her heavenly father too. And I exist in her world to give her a taste of God's love for her. That's part of the role that I play. And in that sense, I am a living stone in the world God is building for her. I am part of the strength of her spiritual home. And my hope in this is that what she would receive from me would be a steady diet of her father's love that would shape her heart to know the love of her heavenly father too. And when I think about that, I think, God have mercy on me. But that said, the other thing you need to know is that Kate is a living stone building the spiritual house that I live in, too. She is a reminder to me with this handshake. 
She's a reminder to me that if my love for her can be what it is, how much greater must the Father's love be for me and for her? That's how we're living stones to one another. So think about it. We exist in each other's lives for these glorious purposes. One of the amazing functions of a community of living stones, building each other into a spiritual home, is that we have this privilege of standing in as flesh and blood representatives of our eternal Father by just delighting in each other. And so if we come to our community as people who are looking to offer a taste of Christ delighting in us, if we come to community as people looking to bring each other back to what is true and good as a royal priesthood, if we come to community as people looking to offer Uh, looking to engagingly expose what is bad or painful in order to engage one another more persuasively with the kindness of Christ. If we do these things, then our communities will be places where we can't help but see the love and the grace and the delight of Christ with increasing clarity. And that, my friends, is the gift of the local church. That's the gift of this place. It's not the gifts of the strengths of any particular leader. It's not the gifts of the resources that are represented in the giving of the congregation. It's not, it's not the, the, the dazzlingly beautiful building that we get to meet in here. It's that we get to be for each other the hands and feet of Jesus. None of us are good at this. And that's good news. We're not experts in this. We're clumsy with it. But the promise of the gospel is that Jesus is working among his people to make us into a people who, by knowing one another, come to know him better. As Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, he is always doing exceedingly more than all that we ask or think. And so may this be our prayer. May God give us the grace to love each other in such a way that through us, people in our lives know him better. And may we delight in him together. We don't have to be experts at it because he's the Lord of his church. But the gospel is, is powerful. How, how is it powerful? I close with these verses from the end of our text. It, it, it makes us into this. You are, I am, we are together. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for Kate. And I thank you for this church. And I thank you for the witness of the church down through time. That we cannot help but have to own our imperfections. We have no era of our existence where we were firing on all cylinders and being perfect. Instead, our strongest testimony that we can make is that in spite of everything, we're still here. And that's because of you, it has to be. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to draw us deeper into a community with one another, that you would cause our hearts to so want to live in peace and fellowship with one another that the idea of driving 300 miles across Iowa on a riding mower sounds like something we'd sign up for. If for no other reason than to look another image bearer in the eye and do what needs to be done to make for peace. We're grateful for your mercy and your grace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.